0: We found on page 897 in those Blue Pew Bibles. Here's John 11:17 17 to 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the Word of God. Have a seat. You know, in the in the adult ed class just now, uh, Dan ran through um, the, the typical Sunday afternoon uh, catechism service that would have been typical around the time of the Heidelberg Catechism, and, and I thought I heard him say that one of the elements of that, uh, I might have misheard you, but I thought I heard him say that one of the elements was a prayer for the preacher to understand the Word of God rightly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to quite go so far as to suggest that we add that to our order of service, but I will plead with you to pray in that way uh, for me, for Bradley, for whoever stands in this pulpit, for us to understand the word of God rightly uh, as we preach. Um, would you pray with me? Father in heaven, um, as we come to this passage, there is, this is one of these passages that just feels like more than we can take in. Uh, That that all the glory (laughs) is is right here, Um, and and we could almost just read this um, and soak in it um, and come to the supper. Um, But you have ordained the preaching of your word, and so I do pray uh, that that as I preach, um, that the words that I say uh, would express your word rightly. Uh, and that your word, this, this great truth, uh, that Jesus himself is the resurrection and is the life, uh, and that whoever believes in him, though he die, he'll live. Um, that these things would land uh, for each of us where we need them to land. Um, Father, each of us brings um, griefs, um, worries, concerns, deaths, um, our hearts are heavy collectively this week uh, for the death of Mita's father. Uh, we have been grieving this with them uh, for the last week, um, even as we rejoice uh, in the hope of the resurrection, um, knowing that He will stand again uh, and will see you with His own eyes. That that when you come uh, to call the dead from the graves, um, when you when you stand on the earth uh, and demand that it give back what doesn't belong to it, uh, the lives of your saints, uh, that he'll be among them. That's a great joy. Uh, That's something that we can rejoice in, even as we grieve and as we mourn. Um, Father, our our hearts are heavy with events in the world, uh, and we continue to pray again, as we did last week, um, for uh, what has now gone from just being tensions to being war uh, in Ukraine. Father, we pray for the leaders in Russia, in Europe, around the world. Uh, again, turn their hearts away from war. Please turn them towards peace. Please, uh, would you give your spirit. Uh, the, 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 the eighth proverb talks about how it's by wisdom uh, that kings rule. Um, but Father, we know how often it is the case that um, the way that, that human uh, kings and, and rulers and, and presidents uh, and prime ministers uh, lead uh, can, can follow anything but wisdom. And so we pray for wisdom. We pray for peace. We pray for courage. Um, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, in Ukraine. Uh, we know of many uh, churches that, that met for worship today uh, in the midst of this crisis, um, we know of others that have have fled for their lives, Father for, for all of these, we pray that you uh, would reign sovereign, um, that you would uh, prevent unnecessary suffering, but, but also that you would sanctify uh, those who suffer um, that in the midst of of trials um, that it would be it would be evident um, That that indeed you are so sovereign that not a hair can fall from our heads without your will. And that all of these things, as horrible as they are, have to work together for the salvation of those who love you. Um, These are things that are hard to believe. Um, We ask that you would give us faith. We ask that you would strengthen the faith um, of those who are most deeply impacted um, by these these events. Father, you know... um, how, again, each of us has our own griefs to bring this morning, this afternoon. Um, each of us brings our own deaths, losses, um, things that we had, had longed for. Um, and it's an amazing thing that we can bring them to you, uh, the God who calls things into being, the God who brings life out of death, uh, and the God who wants us to cry out to him uh, because you care for us. Um, it is an amazing thing that you, you call us each Sunday to enter into rest, not, not by dulling our hearts to the realities of the world around us, um, but instead by reading all of it, uh, by understanding all that is happening around us through the lens of your word, um, through the lens um, of your sovereignty, uh, your power, but also your love, um, your great delight and desire, your disposition to draw near uh, to those who are brokenhearted. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to be this kind of God. And I pray, again, as we open your word, that we would be reminded, or that we would see it afresh, we would see it for the first time, that this is your character, uh, to draw near uh, to the brokenhearted and the afflicted. And Father, yet again, and as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. It's in your name that we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, as I said last week, we have come to uh, a bit of a turning point uh, in the Gospel of John. We're coming to, um, in, these, in these two chapters, 11 and 12, it's kind of a hinge in the whole book uh, between what you might call the ministry of the signs, the time when Jesus was was in the the world, he was was teaching, and he's performing these different signs that demonstrate who he is and his authority, Um, and on the other hand, uh, the ministry of glory, Um, what he really came to do, Um, which is where the bulk of the Gospel of John uh, is is focused on this last week um, in Jesus' life. Um, this sign that we've come to here uh, as we come to focus on this family, uh, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus, um, who will see Jesus raise uh, from the dead in these next couple weeks, this is, this is the, the last and the greatest of his signs, except, of course, for the very last and the very greatest, uh, the one that this sign is pointing towards, uh, his, own, uh, his own resurrection. Um John is working hard. Um, We've been saying since we began studying uh, the gospel of John that it's it's very clear what John's purpose is. He makes it explicit. At the very end of his gospel, he says, I've written all these things so that you might believe and that in believing you might have eternal life. And if you ask, what is it that he wants you to believe? um, You see it right here in this passage. You see it in what Martha says. Uh, the belief that she expresses. This is the Christ. This is the anointed one. This is the son of God, uh, the one who has come into the world. But more than that, that this is the one who has come into the world not merely to reign, uh, not merely to be a king, not just to press his power and authority as he could have done, but has come for one purpose, has come to die, has come to die for us. Everything uh, that John has written to this point, he's, he's, he's pressing us closer and closer uh, to that climax. Um, and really what I want us to focus on this morning, this after I keep saying morning. Um, uh, what I, it's because the sun is so bright, that's the problem. I'm used to it being dark by now. Um, uh, what I want us to focus on this evening um, is just how shocking This climax really is, Um, that Jesus has come to die, Uh, that Jesus, as Paul says it in 1 Corinthians, here's the crux of the gospel, that he is going to die according to the scriptures, be buried, and be raised according to the scriptures, Um, that even though all of this is according to the scriptures, nevertheless, it came as such a shock that it just, it turned the world on its head, and it should turn our world on its head. As well, um, Paul is, is really clear, right, in, in 1 Corinthians, that same chapter, that if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, if that's not true, he says that we are most to be pitied, right? It's really interesting that Paul does not say that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we still have his teachings, right? We still have a lot of wisdom that he gave us, a lot of great moral teaching, or we have a great tradition, we have a great culture Uh, to hang on to and to preserve. No, he says, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we are the most to be pitied. Um, It all hangs um, on whether the resurrection is true. If he's still dead, then, as C.S. Lewis put it, he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. And there's no reason to listen to anything that he says. But, if it's true, if Jesus, in fact, is raised from the dead, Um, then he's Lord. And we have to take seriously everything uh, that he says uh, and everything that he did. I have a a, a good friend uh, who is an artist. Um, He's he's been in the arts community here in Boston for uh, over 20 years. Um, He's made a lot of of great friends. Um, As you can imagine, in the arts community, there's... Plenty of people that uh, are not uh, Christians, not people of any particular faith. Um, and so he's made lots of friends um, of people that, that don't agree with him on, on matters of faith, right? Um, and as you can imagine, they think that he, as a Christian, believes a lot of really crazy things. Um, and they'll take him to task on some of this stuff. You know, beliefs about sexuality. Um... You know, they'll say, it's, it, it, you're telling me you don't believe if two people love each other, that the fact that they happen to be the same sex means that they can't get married? That's crazy. That makes no sense at all. And his response to them for a long time has been to say, I understand you think that's crazy. But that's not the craziest thing I believe. You, you, don't, you, don't, you have no idea the crazy things that I believe. Listen. I believe that there was a man who was dead and then he wasn't. And if I believe that, then a lot of other things follow. And I have to pay attention to what this man said. Um, This is the crazy thing at the heart of our faith, that we believe that a man was dead but then he wasn't. And that changes everything. I want to talk about Why this matters in two different ways today. Um, On the one hand, just purely apologetically, just why do we believe this? Why would we believe something so crazy is actually true? But I don't want to stop there. I want to talk also about why this matters personally. Why this should matter to you today, this evening, said it right this time, this evening, um, here in Newton. Um, and we can see both at work um, as Jesus approaches uh, this family and as he has this conversation um, here with Martha. So where are we? Okay, so Jesus has now come uh, to Bethany. As it says here, it's near Jerusalem. So again, John is setting, setting us up. Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. This is the last time he's going to move towards Jerusalem. He's about to come to that last Passover, that last week. So this is his final trip south. Um, uh, approaching approaching the cross, um, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Uh, another another detail that John wants us to know, um, Lazarus has been dead for long enough that there's no way uh, to say that this was just a resuscitation. You know that Lazarus had um, just you know fainted and, and is and is revived. And he's he's been dead for four days. Um, this is actually a calling. Uh, back to life Um, and we see Martha go out uh, to Jesus while Mary stays uh, in the house Um, one thing just in passing that I want to mention um, this week we're looking at Jesus' interaction with Martha Um, next week we'll see his interaction with her sister Mary who stays behind in the house Um, and you might characterize the two interactions they're, they're very different from each other And one thing you might say is that with Martha, Jesus talks some doctrine, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, do you believe this? He's talking about what she believes. Um, When we get to Mary, he doesn't talk about doctrine. It just says he's moved deeply, and he just weeps. One thing I just want to mention in passing, um, this this is the beauty of seeing Jesus uh, who knows intimately the hearts of every person that he that he meets? He knows exactly how to deal with each person where they are. There, there are cases as we're mourning alongside of people, um, as we are caring for each other, comforting one another. There are times when we need to hear some doctrine. There are some times that we need to be reminded of what's true. There are other times when we just need to weep. We just need to sit. We just need to be with each other uh, in the midst of our grief. Uh, And words are almost unnecessary. Um, None of us is Jesus. None of us knows perfectly uh, when these situations are. But it's worth noting in passing, uh, at least, um, that we have this example here where those two responses were appropriate with these two different people. Well, let's take a look at the doctrine uh, that Jesus uh, describes or that, that, that Jesus gives to, to Martha. Um, what he says, okay, so Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Um, and it's probably best to read that not so much as a rebuke, you know, she's not, um, accusing him of being late. Um, this is really just an expression of, of faith. She, she knows who he is. Um, and she, and she really does believe um, that Jesus you know, would have had the power uh, to prevent uh, her, her brother's death. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, let's, let's stop there. Um, because the first thing you have to understand about the resurrection is the part that Martha already knows and already believes... Before Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life. Okay so before he even says that she's able to say I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So what's going on there? So what you need to understand um, is that if you you look at the Old Testament if you look at what the Jewish people believed about life after death um, what you see is that they didn't have any concept of some kind of an immaterial um, afterlife that would be worth living in any way. The Old Testament talks about that what's beyond death is the grave. Uh, it's shale, right, is the word that, that's often used. And the picture that you get of it throughout the Old Testament is it's, it's shadowy, it's dark, it's silent, um, it's a place of... Um, of, of um, basically a place without life. Um, If there was any hope, um, the only kind of life worth living was uh, the kind of life that we're living now, Uh, embodied life, um, life as it's been created, um, life restored uh, to what it was meant to be, yes, um, but not any kind of an immaterial uh, life where our bodies would be permanently separated from our souls and that that would be uh, the way things were supposed to be. Um, you think about all the, the different like, sensory descriptions um, throughout, throughout the Old Testament. You think about Psalm 34 saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, you think about uh, the incense, uh, which are later compared to the prayers of the saints, rising up a pleasing aroma uh, to God. Um, the, the description that you get from the Old Testament of what the good life is involves our bodies. Um, it involves all of our senses. It's notable, if, if you go look at Genesis 2, um, you look at the way that, that the creation of, um, of Adam is described in Genesis 2, it says that God formed the man from the dust and then breathed his spirit into him and he became a living being. What it does not say, it doesn't say that he formed the man's body from the dust and then breathed a spirit into that, right? So the picture that you get is not this kind of dualistic, you know, the body is just a shell, you know, a vehicle, a temporary um, costume, you know, that our true selves wear. Um, No, the picture that you get is that the body, the soul, are inextricably bound to each other, and that what God formed out of the dust was the man, and he breathes his spirit into it, um, and that became uh, a living being um, you might recognize by the way, you know this, this, this the alternative view, this dualistic view you know where the body is just the shell holding our true selves. so you might know that like that was common in, in all kinds of um, Various Gnostic philosophies, uh, ancient Greek philosophies like Epicureanism. You actually don't have to go all that highbrow um, to see this point of view. If you've watched just about any movie made by Disney, um, the upshot is always, you know, that our true selves lie within, right? Um, that we look inside, you know, to find to find the truth. Um, and that any kind of constraints that we would experience from being embodied or being connected to one another or to place or to community, those are all obstacles to break free from, right? Those are the things that that hold us back. Um, This is at odds with the Jewish understanding of the good life. The Jewish understanding was that God had created a world, and it's physical, and it's embodied, and it was good, and that's the way things are supposed to be, and the hope that they had was that God was one day going to restore. So when Martha says, I know that my brother is going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day, what she's talking about is something that every Jew believed, that in the end there would be a resurrection that all those who had died, that all those who had, had, had passed and had gone into the grave and who, you know, you might currently say were in shale, would be called out, would be called back, and they would rise bodily. Um, but this was going to happen to everyone, to all of God's people at the same time at the end, right? In what they would have called the day of the Lord. Right, which was coming at the end of history. Now, here's the place where Jesus turns the world upside down for Martha. In response to her saying, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now, what is he saying there? Well, on the one hand, your ears probably catch the I am, right? I mean, by now we've seen a bunch of these where Jesus makes statements, either just I am or I am something. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. By now, we're attuned to the fact that when Jesus says I am, one of the things that he's drawing on Um, is the name of the Lord, and he's claiming that name for himself. And in this place, when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying, listen, not only am I the fulfillment of everything that you're hoping for, but I'm the source. Not only am I resurrection life coming at the end, but I'm the beginning of life. I'm the giver of life. But secondly, for Jesus to say, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, is to say, that life that you're holding out hope for at the end can actually begin now. Can actually begin now, in the middle of history. This sign that he's about to perform in raising Lazarus from the dead, as I say, this is just pointing towards the real sign. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Presumably, he's going to die again. There's nothing that says that that he was raised to um, a body that wouldn't die. Uh, a second time. But when Jesus is raised, everything is different. When Jesus is raised, it's not just being called back to life, um, it's the beginning of new life, uh, it's the beginning of the whole new creation. This is hope bursting into the middle of the story, and this is what really changes the world. Um, This is what really gives our faith a power that changes not just our lives, but all of history. Let me see if I can explain uh, why this is. Um, one of the things that you'll hear pretty often um, as an argument for the truth of the resurrection is the idea that if the disciples knew that Jesus had died, and if they made up the story that he was raised from the dead, and then they went on to die for that, then they're dying for something that they know is a lie. And that's just not plausible. Um, I think that's a pretty good argument. I think that's pretty fair. It is hard to imagine that many people dying for something that they know uh, is not true. But that doesn't quite get at the depth of, of what's being said. The problem with the idea that the disciples died for a lie isn't simply that it's implausible that they'd be willing to do that. It's more that it's implausible that that lie could have come from those people in the first place. Why is that? Well, I just explained, for, for the Jewish people, they were looking forward to a resurrection. But they were looking forward to a resurrection of everybody at the same time at the end of history. Um, N.T. Wright, in his book on the resurrection, uh, the resurrection of the Son of God. It is a big, thick book, right? It's it's one of his scholarly works as a historian, and the reason it's so thick is because he spends the whole first half of it, like before he even gets to anything that's even close to the Bible, um, he goes through every ancient source he can find to try to answer the question, could anybody have been expecting or even hoping for The resurrection of one man in the middle of history and his answer is a resounding no because on the one hand the jewish people would not have wanted the resurrection of one person in the middle of history this makes no sense resurrection is supposed to happen at the very end to all of us at the same time on the other hand if you're greek or if you're roman these are kind of the other worldviews that were on offer at the same time none of them were expecting a resurrection at all Um, they either would have looked at their myths and would have seen nobody comes back from the dead, or they would have listened to their philosophers, Plato and Cicero being being the two main ones that that Wright looks at, both of whom thought that the body was a prison. It was something that you wanted to escape. Death was actually a form of release uh, from, from that prison. So what Wright says is, The ancient world was therefore divided into those who said that resurrection couldn't happen, although they might have wanted it to, and those who said they didn't want it to happen, knowing that it couldn't any anyway. And on the other hand, if anyone had said to a first-century Jew, and here's Tim Keller from The Reason for God, if anyone had said to a first-century Jew, so-and-so has been resurrected from the dead, the response would be, are you crazy? How could that be? Has disease and death ended? Is true justice established in the world? Has the wolf laid down with the lamb? Look around, history is still going. How can anyone have been raised uh, from the dead? So Wright's conclusion is that no one could even have expected or desired the resurrection of one person in the middle of history. This, This would not have been a good way to vindicate Jesus as the Messiah. A Messiah who had been crucified was by definition a failed Messiah. A Messiah who had been crucified and was then raised from the dead is still a failed Messiah with this kind of weird thing added on to the end. What are you talking about raised from the dead in the middle of history? Um, This would not have been a good way to make the case. And yet, this is the case that they made. This is what they claimed had happened. They claimed that Jesus had been crucified. And as Paul tells us in Galatians, they knew what that meant, subject to a curse. And then raised from the dead. One of the fascinating things about the Gospels that most suggests that they're just doing the best to report what happened is that. If you notice, all the way through the Gospels, there's all these references to Old Testament Scriptures. You know, this happened to fulfill this prophecy. Jesus said this uh, in order to fulfill the words of Isaiah, whatever. But when you get to the resurrection, all of that stops. And even though within a generation, Paul is able to start pointing at Old Testament Scriptures say, okay, see, this does fit. As the Gospel writers are reporting what happened... Uh, in the gospels themselves here's here's how Wright puts it they have the puzzled air of someone saying I didn't understand it at the time and I'm not sure I do now but this is more or less how it was what Jesus is saying to Martha is going to turn the world on its head Um, it's going to turn her world on its head She probably is saying more than she knows when she says, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. The last thing I want us to see about this is how this doctrine, this truth uh, that Jesus is raised from the dead, is not just something that changes the whole world. I want us to see how it changes each of our lives this evening. I think it's really significant that as Jesus drops this bomb, as Jesus hands over this doctrine that's going to change the world, where does he do it? Um, is he doing it in the temple? Is he doing it in front of a big crowd? Is he doing it you know, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees both present so they can have this debate about whether there's a resurrection or not, right? No, the first person, the first setting in which Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's talking to one woman who has just lost her brother. This doctrine comes into the world in response to a specific loss, a specific grief, a specific death. Paul says that death is the last enemy. And we know that Jesus has come into the world in order to defeat it, by defeating its power, by defeating sin. The question I would ask you as you consider this, this evening, if you would say that you have put your faith in Christ, if you would say that you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, That he was crucified, buried, raised according to the scriptures. How do you think about that? Surely, if you believe that that's true, you believe that that's amazing. You believe that this shows God's power. That death itself has been defeated. That is amazing. It is, in fact, the crazy thing that we believe. But is it just that? Is it just the crazy thing that we believe? Is it just the demonstration of God's power and of his sovereignty? Or can you see how it is also the demonstration of his love? Can you believe that that death was for you? Can you believe that that resurrection was for you? Can you believe that the things in your lives which have been lost which have been ruined by the fall, uh, which have died. Can you take those things to the foot of the cross? Can Can you put them at his feet and say, God, I believe that you're the God who creates out of nothing. I believe you're the God who calls things into existence that don't exist, who names things that don't have names, who names a people who were shown no mercy Mercy, and who were not a people, my people. Can you believe that this resurrection power is exactly the same power that now is at work in you to sanctify you, to make you more and more like Jesus? What are the deaths? in your life that need to hear this answer today Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life do you believe it this is really all John's purpose to bring us to the foot of the cross that we would be able to look at this Jesus and say yes I believe that this one is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world, the one who came into the world in order to give his life for us, uh, in order to be raised. We're coming to a table here where we feast on the basis that this is true. This whole worship service is one in which we enter into rest. Uh, we enter into God's presence, um, something that none of us can take for granted. And we do it on the basis of what Christ has done for us. So in response to that, before we come to this table, let's give thanks. Would you pray with me?